Hi, I'm Jane Miller, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week, we have guitar professor Jane Miller with us. As an artist in both jazz and contemporary acoustic music, Jane has performed around the world and has been published in Acoustic Guitar Magazine, Premier Guitar, Mel Bay, and others. Her latest book, Triads for the Improvising Guitarist, was just published on Berkeley Press. Jane gives some great advice for students in music on the value of working on fundamentals and developing your voice on the instrument. And she also opens up on her friendship with the legendary jazz guitarist, Emily Remler. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Jane Miller. Coffee Talk, everyone. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department, and we're here today with assistant chair Cheryl Bailey. Hello, everyone. Coffee cheers. Our senior coordinator, Ian Steed. Hey, all. And our special guest today is Professor Jane Miller. Hey, Jane. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, so hey, today. I have, can we start with this? Yes. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you first. What are you drinking there? You can ask about it. It's a, it's kind of pretty today. Ooh. Doesn't always go this well. It's beautiful. Is that a cappuccino? Yeah, it's a cappuccino. So for the people who are listening and not watching, I think you have to describe a little bit what it looks like. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, well, that ought to do it, right? Um, this is a, uh, actually, I got a fancy new cappuccino cup and saucer thing. Uh, and this is the, the logo here. Yeah, I was curious. Is it Illy coffee? Because that's very good for cappuccino. Yes, it's well. It's only the cup. I use. I this, this is Starbucks coffee today. So if you're uh, listening and not watching, it's this. You, you know, your classic white cup and saucer with the nice little Illy uh, logo on it. And the cappuccino today came out a little bit like um, you want it to be a little bit of a dome on top, and it's a, it was pretty close to that. And um, I have a, uh, an espresso machine and a, you know, with the steamer for the milk and um, that's what I do every day. And it's funny, I don't, if somebody says, hey, you want a cup of coffee? Usually I say no, because I only, I, I only like espresso drinks. And for some reason I don't like just like your, your everyday um, coffee. So for me, this is every day. Uh, and I don't, and I don't like to be, um, it sounds really snobby to say like, oh, no, I don't drink just the ordinary cup. <laughs> yeah, Cheryl like, was so proud to know you. <laughs> Cheryl was so proud to know you in that moment when you said that. <laughs> Jane, I'm then like, this is, I'm I also like, have, I really like my mug collection. This is a, uh, I have water in this for now, but you know, this is good for a latte. It's a colorful, uh, a uh, straight up mug with no handle and I got it in Arizona. So I, I use this oh, a lot. That's cool. See, and now then, when you get into having the proper drinkware for the drink, this is a whole yes. another mm-hmm. echelon. I'm, I'm really, I'm glad to know you, Jane. I'm glad I can count you as my friend. <laughs> Likewise, I mean, it's, it, these things are important. It's yeah. Important. It's, you have to enjoy the, these things, you know, like, uh, without without overly attached, be, being overly attached to them is not probably good. But but things are nice to get us through life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things. I love that. Um, so, Jane, the next thing we generally start with with everyone is, um, would you mind talking about one of your first days at Berkeley? Doesn't have to be the very very first, but you've had a lot of different experiences coming in to to Berkeley, and and uh, we'd like to kind of know what what your impressions were, how you felt, or what your first days were like? Well, uh, I'll go back to when I was, uh, when Emily Remler was a visiting artist Mm -hmm. in the guitar department, that was back in 1988. She Mm -hmm. was with, um, there were four different uh, visiting artists doing residency. It was Emily and Mick Goodrick. It was amazing. Who was not, uh, who was not, 
yet on the faculty here, or he was he was elsewhere and then came back, and then uh, John Schofield and John Abercrombie. So the four of them, and I and Emily was staying with me, and so you know I was I drove in and out of Boston with her to do this uh, residency, and. Um, that's when I met, well, I met Bill Levitt, he was still with us then, and Larry Bayonne. And uh, and then Larry and I stayed in touch a little bit, and, uh, you know, so fast forward a few years, and then I made uh, my first CD, and Larry and I were in touch a little bit about that. And somebody said to me, um, you should teach at Berkeley. And I was like, oh, I could, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, you know. And, uh, no, I couldn't. And then, and then came. Um, I think Larry was asking for you, and I was like, "Oh, well, maybe then, you know, maybe I could at least look into that." And so now I've I've been teaching at Berkeley since since 1994, and uh, I don't know where that all went, where all the time went. <laughs> I remember the day that I went in to um, meet with Larry and Rick Peckham, and. Uh, you know, I got shown all around and met with other people and, and you know, made a day of it, right? Um, and uh, it came to the end. There was like the, the coda. It could, I could sense like here we are at the, at the, the uh, coda. And Rick said, well, I just want to show Jane around a little, a little more. Larry was kind of like, what, what are you doing now? You know, <laughs> and it was this extended, you know, encore thing. And Rick, Rick said, I, I just want to show Jane around. So we walked around the neighborhood and he showed me the, um, what was it, the, uh, at the time, the, the technology lab for, for faculty. I can't think of the initials for it now. I used to go there a lot to, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, like the CTMI. The CTMI, thank you, yeah. And um, everywhere we went, we were walking across the streets and down these hallways and this, everybody's like, hey, Rick, hi, Rick, hi, Rick, hey, Rick, hi, Rick. And I was like, wow, this is Rick. He knows everybody in this <laughs> place. And um, it just felt felt good, like, yeah, I, could, I, I just felt kind of immediately comfortable, you know, and just felt like a good place to be. Oh, that's great. That's great. Everyone that we talk to has kind of a story like that, right? It's fun. I mean, Rick and Larry were here for so long. And everyone seems to have that story where there's this idea about teaching at Berkeley and then you think, I don't, I don't know about that. And then Larry finds you and just says, yeah, I think you can do this, you know. Um, did he- Yeah, it's really interesting. I was encouraged to do what I do rather than try to fit what they wanted to ask me to do. You know, I was encouraged to um, play up the finger style aspect of things and, um, you know, ha have my own sort of studio approach. So uh, one, one thing I think is really interesting about that is that you came in to do what you do and then you've been here at Berkeley for a long time. So do you have a sense in your mind of how being in the environment of the guitar department also helped you develop and maybe change what you do in different ways? Oh, that's really a great question. And sure, yeah, of being around so many, so many people on the faculty and students, um, sure, it all, we, I think we all rub off on each other a little, right? And, um, also, you know, like other departments too, like composition and, and arranging and, um, you know, songwriting and, uh, and even now a little more in the um, production. Uh, I just, I learned from everybody. But in terms of guitar playing, um, yeah, I've just seen people, you know, there's nowhere else that I can think of where you, you're just so, so surrounded with serious practicers and and performers um, all the time, you know, just really like shedding and always, you know, always with the guitar. And um, yeah, that that's catchy. That's catchy. It's like a, you know, um, it's a good thing to 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 be around. It's it, of course there's everybody influences everybody else, you know. And then the trick is to balance that with. Here's what I do because it's dangerous when you start to think like, oh no, I don't do that. Uh oh, you know, it's like that's that can be a problem. And you know, I've told Joe Stump this 
many times. I, I, I want, you know, what it, what he does for Christmas, you know. <laughs> I mean, I want. I have metal envy. I t- and uh, I told I told him, like, it's really it's it's such a funny thing to to ask somebody like, well, how do you do that? You know, because like, I have a class in two minutes, but can you just tell me how you do that? <laughs> And, uh, you know, people like students are on the way out the door, like, okay, yeah, see you next week. Oh, but how do you improvise? You know what I mean? <laughs> Just like, um, all these big questions. But yeah, I really would love to, to uh, just be able to magically do things like that. And, and I have to just come back to myself and say, oh, but that's, that's not my thing, you know. <laughs> Let Joe do that and, and I'll just do what I do. And it's, that can be really hard sometimes because it's so much fun to see and listen to everybody play and you kind of want that you kind of want to you know oh i, I wish i could do that mm-hmm. but it's, it's okay to you know pursue and be be excellent at what you do and and kim i'll add to that a phrase that you said to me once that stayed with me which is we were talking about sound and and you said uh it's its own beautiful thing mm-hmm. And that's right. such a great phrase. And we can apply that to, you know, to our playing, to our whatever, to our writing. It's its own beautiful thing. It's not this other person's beautiful thing, but it's, it's mine. You know, it's funny. I remember that conversation because um, it kind of leads into the next thing I was thinking about with the, with your playing. We were talking about um, when you have, like I had a, a classical guitar that was made for concert sound and what is your tone like? And then I was getting this guitar for the first time, like a, an electric nylon string guitar to be able to play in rooms that were more dead, like the BPC or when we went, would go on the road for Berkeley or when I would play with an electric guitar player. And um, someone was saying, well, you can't get the same exact tone. And I said, yeah, I know, but I can get it something that's its own beautiful thing. I remember that. I had forgotten saying that, but that's really true. And um, I think about that with your playing, Jane, because I've heard you play on both acoustic and electric instruments. And this is something that Cheryl and I have talked about a lot, that you know, there's a difference between how you make a sound that's beautiful on an acoustic instrument versus an electric instrument, even though a lot of the properties of the way you use your hands are similar in like how you develop the technique. But what I want to know is, how do you make your sound, Jane, consistent so that we know it's like, this is Jane Miller, even when you're playing really different types of guitars and in different styles? That's a really, uh, uh, that's possibly an unknown. That's like, (laughs) how do you uh, make your speaking voice always sound like your speaking voice? You know, when you get a phone call from someone, if you didn't, see the caller ID, you'd know who it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, and I've had, you know, a funny conversation with Charles Chapman. I, I don't think any, any of you maybe got a chance to meet him. Cheryl, maybe you uh, remember Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, you know, would collect guitars, right? And we'd talk about guitars. He'd, he'd, he would talk your ear off and it was always fun. You know, I love Charlie. And uh, he said he would get, get a new guitar and then tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until it sounded like all his other guitars. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we do that, you know, it's human nature, I guess. But um, I think for me anyway, um, I've never been much of a gearhead until a little more recently I've gotten into, uh, you know, the, the nuances of, of some gear. But I think for me, it's more about what I play rather than the like tone considerations or, or gadgetry. I think it's more for me, I, if, if I had to identify my identity, I think it would be in the, um, in the writing, you know, in the, like the melodies and the, and the progressions. I, I had a student once say to me, that's a Jane note, you know, and it was like a sharp 11. I was like, yeah, I know. I love that. But it, I don't think it was about like the, and maybe Kim, uh, you know, your question is more about the tone, and maybe you hear something that I don't. But <laughs> for me, it's usually about the the um, you know the approach, the writing approach, the sound of the you know the note and chord choices more than the tone. And if you don't get a tone from somebody immediately on the phone, mm-hmm. you'll they'll say something, 
and you hear the like a, a, a speech pattern or for, and you go, oh, now I know who that is. Right. And, and I think that's musical too. Well, Jane, I think what, well, really what you're both saying, which is connects to our conversation with Alan Chase mm -hmm. about that everyone has this melody that they hear inside or these harmonies that they hear and it's our training is refining you know the whole system that we can get more immediate with what that sound is and I feel that you know if you go between these instruments you're you, as you say you're not really thinking about the technique per se because you're, you're really concentrated on the voice that you hear that's yours, right? Yeah, well, I, I love what Alan said about the, um, when you write a melody or play something, you're expressing to people what you hear, what you, your mind's ear is feeding you this information and then you're just, you know, showing everybody what that is. Mm -hmm. And I, it's so, it was so well put. I, I was like, yes, that's, uh, I, you know, I wish I had, thought of that it was so well put so uh yeah i think um there's there's sense to that and it's um yeah i don't know how to put it any better yeah you're right uh, ian what's on your mind with this yeah i kind of like the um the metaphor you said about like your speaking voice and you know this conversation it seems like there were there's two aspects of like you know, your musical identity. And there's these things that, you know, we work on and it might be vocabulary. It might be um, the things that we're trying to say. And then there's almost the things that we're saying that we don't realize, right? That like, I don't know if I tried to like, you know, transcribe a solo and I'm trying really hard to sound like Brian Sutton. And I wanna like put my hand exactly where he might do that. And I play it and I record it and I think, yeah, I'm like right on. But then I listen back. I'm like, actually, that sounds more like me. <laughs> like, hmm. I can't, can't help but hear my own sound, regardless almost of what I want to say. And it's almost like accepting that like a speaking voice. Yeah, I think I think that's a good thing then, you know, like, oh, good. I sound like myself. I mean, I know, I understand the learning process of, of uh, you know, transcribing and trying to uh, really access somebody else's tone, like imitate, how to figure out how they did that. I understand that as a learning tool, but um, I don't think it's really anything to, uh, you know, be in, in hot pursuit of if you're already, if you already have your own sound. Aside from what I said about wanting to be Joe Stump, I don't really want to, you know, like, I, I really want to, um, be myself and I, I think that's uh, sometimes that's the easiest thing in the world and, and other times that's it's really hard to remember and stay focused on that but it's cool Ian that you're hearing yourself you know and uh, yeah no matter how hard we try that's who we're gonna, gonna be you know I, oh, go well, ahead. I was gonna say just thinking about writing um, and composing did you always do that or did you start doing that um, later on or was that have you always just been naturally writing or then later yeah. on you said maybe i should write some of my own tunes or how, how was your process with that uh, i was just telling this to somebody else recently I, I don't ever remember a time when i wasn't writing i was like three writing making up things on ukulele i i don't remember not writing music and i've always kind of i mean let's not tell other people this but i think i'm a better writer than player I've always kind of thought that, you know, and so uh, writing just comes easily to me as if like, you know, that's, everybody must do that. I, I just have never not done that. So mm -hmm. the trick is then to just keep getting better and more interesting at it, you know, and that's the, that goes back to the thing, what do you, what do you, uh, how have I changed or learned from other people at Berkeley? I mean, I think that's just, that's the, the big push, the massive push to get more interesting all the time, you know? And uh, so there's there's always that. And it's, you know, like Ian brings up, it's, it's our own sound, it's our own voice. And we can still do that while making it more interesting. You know, it's kind of like, interior decorating or something it's still, it's still that house 
but maybe I'm going to just, you know, put, I, I just put some flowers over there, you know, and I put, I don't know if you can see, I've got some lights, put the lights on. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just little, those little things that um, don't change maybe the, uh, the structure so much as the, um, oh, just the little ornaments, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little yeah. more interesting approaches, things like that. You know, both your answer um, to Ian's question and to Cheryl's made me think of a another conversation we had recently with um, David Tronzo, where he was saying that he wants the students to think that your your favorite guitar player should be you, not from an egocentric standpoint, but really in the way that you really beautifully laid out. Like you have to learn who you are and what you care about, and then work on work on that. You know, if you're interested in what you're doing and, and you're aware of what your strengths are and what you love, um, then you just keep going and you, you build your playing and you build your writing if you're meant to be a writer. Um, and I think um, we hear a lot of students sometimes come in and say, well, they feel insecure about their playing because they are, they are writing and they're producing. And um, they say, well, maybe I don't need to work on my playing because who cares? I'm just going to be a writer or I'm just going to be a producer. And um, what we're trying to advise them to do is sort of what you were talking about, like just to kind of get to know yourself as a musician and develop as a whole musician. And as a accomplished writer and producer, what do you say to students who feel that way, who maybe are afraid to develop their playing because it's not their strength? Well, First of all, just I mean, in the within the context of Berkeley, I'll I'll point out that you know this is your principal instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know it's it. This is this is something to take seriously. Um, no one's going to play our own music as well as we do in some in some ways. You know, we ha- the way our mind's ear is feeding us these this music, we understand it better than anybody else, and so it's it's worth it to really get good at playing it and what else can we do with it, you know? Um, we don't all have to improvise. In fact, something I just recently, just like, you know, five minutes ago realized, uh, or just maybe within the past month or so, realizing that not every song I write has to be this blowing tune. Some of them are, and some of them are great with the, with the quartet and with the jazz group and, and like that, but some of them are just these little short things that are little compositional statements, you know, little little production things to go in a production library. You know, they don't have to all be um, these, these uh, you know, virtuoso, playing experiences. So so there's that, you know, we, we will have always have that and accept that, you know, but some of them you do want to explore as a player, you know, and, and I think if you want to uh, work with other people, uh, play on other people's tracks, for example, or play on your own and be able to, you know, layer the things you want to layer, especially these days, we have to do a lot of these things for ourselves. Um, you can't always just assume that someone else is going to come along and play it the way you want it. Um, and why not? Why not be a, a good player and do your best and put it, you know, let it see the light of day in your own in your own voice. I, I think there's value in that. Someone else might do it. You know, I mean, look at um, what some of the historically. Uh, pop songwriters like Carol King for example. Oh yeah. Right? And and you yeah. know other people do her songs and um can do them beautifully, but she has her own unique sound and her own voice. And you know so that's that's her <laughs> own beautiful thing, right? Um so that you know sure let other people do their own versions but still it's, it, I think it's. I think there is value in in developing your playing, and it, it doesn't mean you're going to be um, Joe Pass. Mm-hmm. It just means you're going to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. By the way, I was in Starbucks uh, recently, picking up, grabbing really quickly a, a mobile order to go, <laughs> and uh, I heard um, "Let It Snow" mm-hmm. on the whatever they were playing, and. Uh, 
I was trying to, the guitar solo was absolutely burning. I was like, oh my God, who is this playing? And then I realized, I think it might have been Joe Pass. I have to go look that up. <laughs> but I think he did like a just absolutely smoking version of Let It Snow. And the solo was, I, I was like, maybe it's, um, I thought maybe it might have been George Benson because of something. But now I, I have to find out now and listen to the, I think he did Let It Snow. Do you know, anybody else know? I don't know. This is what worth investigating, though. Yeah, worth investigating. I don't know what why I went on that tangent, but I guess I was thinking <laughs> about like just playing all these different versions of of songs, and uh, you know, yeah, be a good player. I don't know. I know not everybody wants to be, but and so sometimes there's no convincing someone like of you know they they have it all figured out what they want to do, and there's no no convincing them otherwise, you know. But I. I don't know. I like to think that, you know, someone has something to say through their... Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, sometimes I feel like it reminds you, these moments with the students who feel that way remind you how, how hard it is to kind of own that, to own who you are and really think about it and really um, build on it and get to know yourself in that way. Um, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. I really respect it. You know, whether it's someone's challenge or their strength, I really respect it when people can learn about who they are. Yeah. Yep. Um, Cheryl, what's on your mind? Well, I was thinking you mentioned that concert with Emily Remler, and I was there as a student. And at the time, there was myself and my buddy Evelyn were the only female students in the guitar department at the time. And I remember, and then it's just funny that somehow you were involved in that and I didn't know you, you were on the other side of the, you know, backstage or whatever. Um, wow. And I remember, it's on YouTube. It, it's kind of a grainy thing of that. And I was so happy to see that because I, re, I remember, well, everybody was into Schofield, right? All the guys were like, Schofield, Schofield. And then somebody goes, who's that girl? <laughs> and I was like, just wait. Oh. And, and just, she played so great on like, she was on fire. I met her right before that. I took a lesson with her one time in Pittsburgh. And she was so on fire. And me and my buddy Evelyn were like, <laughs> and I still see that video. And she's still, over time, it still stands as a great performance. But so, so anyway, that was really cool to hear that you were a part of that in, a, in an interesting way. But also, one time you told me a funny story about your friendship with Emily, and it involved watching I Love Lucy and talking about oh, yeah. the melodic minor scale. Oh, right, right, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was Emily, you know. Uh, she Emily loved to play the guitar. I think more, uh, even to this day, more than anyone I've ever known. I mean, if there was a guitar, she'd grab. She loved to play. We got to. Uh, I, I drove her to a concert at Night Stage one time. She was doing a double bill with um, Cal Farlow, and she's like, "Let's play." Let, let, you know, we just got in the door and, and, you know, to not even set up yet to do sound check. And she was like, let's play. You can use Tal's guitar. I was like, well, I, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> anyway, she was just, she was hysterically funny. And um, so, yeah, we would watch uh, I Love Lucy and she'd say, all right, that character there, that, he was Lumpy Rutherford's father and, and Leave it to Beaver. You know, I mean, we would just like, you know, laugh a lot and um but then also play because you know that's what we did and she loved uh to play she she was happy with a guitar in her hands that's for sure mm. so yeah we just you know hung out and did fun fun things she actually turned me on to lap swimming i had always always been a swimmer <laughs> like in, in a lake but she turned me on to lap swimming you know at the at the ymca and um uh, I still love that. I miss it because it's not available right now. But um, yeah, I still I'm grateful for that for sure. For uh, among many things, but um, yeah, she could really make me laugh a lot. And we talked. I wish you could have heard some of the conversations in the car around the time of that uh, concert. <laughs> but I agree with you. He was, um, you know, 
they, they would, somebody would take a solo, burning, burning, burning solo. And what I told her was like, when it was your turn to solo, you were like, all right, now I'm going to tell you, tell you how it is. That's, and that's exactly what happened. And go find the, the video on YouTube. That's exactly what happened. Thank you. It was right, right? It was like, blah, 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 blah. And then Emily was like, all right, here's the thing. Right? And, and she just got right to it. And it was, and it was equally burning and incredible. But, but we, I don't know, there was some, I do remember that and telling her that, that there was such, um, like there was a substance to it, you know? Yes, yeah, well, she was particularly on fire during that phase. She was, because I, like I said, I, I had an opportunity, to, I took a lesson with her. So I was my first year at Berkeley. And I went home for break. She was in Pittsburgh. And my yeah. friend called me, said, you got to call Ems. Here's her number. Go take a lesson. She was so generous and kind to me and encouraging. We hung out all day. Like, it wasn't like, oh, lesson's over, kid. Go. She was like, oh, let's play. And we hung out and just played all afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I just remember, and we spent a lot of time together. And she was so encouraging. She said, don't give up. She said, people are going to say a lot of things about you. But it doesn't matter. You just keep playing. And, um, and she taught me everything she taught me, I use all the time. But she, I remember she was particularly on fire. And then, you know, I found out she was coming to Berkeley and we were just so excited. And it was, yeah. it lived up to the legend, I have to say. <laughs> you know, I got to say, there was one time in the guitar office when, like, when I was a work study student, we all, like, in the office discovered this video. <laughs> of like Emily and Mick and John Abercrombie. And we were all huddled around the computer right there. And we're like, holy crap. Like we didn't even know this concert existed or ever happened. And we found it on YouTube. We're all like huddled around the office. And then Cheryl, you walk in, you're like gonna come like make some copies. You just look over and go, oh yeah, Emily smoked all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, I love it. I um. The one story that I tell all the time that um, Mick told me about that concert was about how Emily really had an awareness of him and uh, his playing so well that they were backstage and afterwards and people were coming through and um, they were saying congratulations and somebody went to Mick and they said, oh, one solo, there was this one solo that you did and it blew my mind, it was so amazing. And, and another person mentioned that one solo and then Emily, um, when it got quiet, looked at Mick and said, yeah, in that one solo, you were lost, weren't you? And he said, uh, you know, when I started the solo, I wasn't sure I was lost. And then by the time I ended, I, I knew it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love that she said that. I love that she picked up on that. Um, and, you know, we have, um, for people who don't know, we have an award in the spring that we give out every year in um, Emily Remler's memory. And um, Jane, you usually are part of that ceremony in, in the past couple of years. And um, maybe you could speak a little bit about, you know, what that means, like what the, you know, like what type of person we feel like when we award that award, like what are we honoring? Um, because I think that not only was Emily a, an incredible player, but obviously a very strong, um, person and a, um, and a person who knew who she was in the, um, in the guitar community. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and knew who she was in a, in a very humble sort of way, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't, it's not to say she had no self doubt cause she had self doubt. Um, but, but it didn't stop her. I mean, it was sort of, you know, she, um, loved, learning and getting better all the time she did and you just when you think she can't get better she did um but yeah she um as i said all the things we've said about her already she she was really joyful when she had such joy in her playing and so i love um seeing students uh rec be recognized for that you know and and i think that's a really great way to honor Emily and to recognize the students for that kind of passion mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, pursuit of excellence and, um, you know, just really loving, loving playing jazz. It might not even have to be jazz. I mean, that's what Emily did, but um, just that sort of growth and, and uh, encouragement, as Cheryl said, you know, generous, um, 
playing playing well with others. You know, she did <laughs> all that. I remember um, walking down the street with Emily and Mick. On it must have been around that time, and we were walking down Boylston Street, and uh, Emily was talking about her new recording. She was working with uh, uh, Buster Williams, Hank Jones, and Marvin Smitty Smith. And Mick said, oh, too bad you couldn't get any good players. <laughs> well, that was Nick. That was Nick's work. But yeah, you know, Emily could fit in with the best of them like that and uh, and still, still be humble and still, you know, still question everything and want to get better and, uh, and just have a lot of fun, have a good time doing it. So, so I love to see that reflected, you know, in the in the students that are awarded. Uh, that I love to see some of those same characteristics. So at that time, even when Emily was at the top of, you know, being respected by other jazz musicians, and listeners and students, it was also pretty rare for a woman to be in that environment, right? And um, I think Cheryl, you alluded to that when you said that you and Evelyn were the only two performance majors in guitar at Berkeley in that time. And Jane, when you came into the Berkeley faculty in 1994, there weren't very many women yet on the faculty. And so um, how did both of you sort of handle that same experience in that time frame, like of being different and having to handle that? How did you deal with that, Jane? How did I deal with that? Yeah. Um, well, I, I do, you know, I, I think I took some cues from Emily on that, actually. Mm -hmm. I already felt that we already felt the same, really, about it, which is um, just do your thing and, and be good at that. Right. And, you know, it's sort of, uh, it almost sounds like, yeah, just ignore that. And it's, and in some ways, like, well, yeah, just ignore that. But it it also, uh, I've, I've come to realize that it is important to um, to not necessarily ignore that. You know what I mean? Like, right. don't make it an issue. Like, don't make it your only thing. Like, here, here I'm, a, I'm here to be a professional role model. You know what I mean? There's no such thing. You just, right. you, you either are or you are not. So you do your work, you know, and you, and you do your work and you let people see you do your work. Um, and, and that's all we can do now as time goes on i realize and 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 respect more that yes we do have to talk about that you know but for a long time i i didn't see the need to and, and emily never saw the need to you know just just do what you do and then in in the doing you know people see and get it and take it in like oh okay um, but I, more recently, it does seem like it needs to be discussed a little more, you know, mm -hmm. like what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it's not because we should feel like we have to explain ourselves. Right. It's just that, you know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be anything unusual. Right. 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 Cheryl, what do you think? Wow. Well, I mean... I mean, I always felt when I came in as, on the faculty, I always felt welcomed. Um, so I, there wasn't an issue that I saw. But I, I mean, I totally agree with everything that Jane said. I mean, and really, that's what Emily was saying to me also. It's kind of like you need a thick skin to a yeah. certain degree. Um, and uh, you do your best. And, um, you know, that's all you can really concentrate. There, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, and I've had obviously, you know, many times interviewers that wanted to just talk about that. And I, and then I'll get to the end of the interview and they go, oh, I forgot to ask you about that. I'm like, yeah, good. We're done. You know, we, you got a lot of info because there's only one list. That's what I always saw. There's only one list. You can play or you can't. So my goal is to be on that list, not like the best female guitarist, the best. Because if you just put on music and listen to it, do you know or the gender or the race or the any of the you know of the person playing? It either mm -hmm. sounds great to you and it moves you or it doesn't. Right. <laughs> so right. all that all that other stuff is sort of noise that goes around the outside, like marketing or oh, I don't know how to process this. But the, 
I I'm not having that problem. <laughs> I know what I mean? Like, I know what I'm, I'm here to play the guitar, and that's my challenge every day. Mm -hmm. So you deal with that noise out there, and I'm just going to keep doing. So, you know, I, I think. But, but I, I agree, Jane, too. It was something I never, ever wanted to address. And now, as I'm older, I feel it, it is important to address it. And I'm glad that we're all here. Obviously, it, as we said, actually, you know, Ian said that when we were talking with, with Robin Stone, it not only benefits the young women but it, and older women, but it also benefits ma men mm -hmm. to be able to work with women as equals or they are leaders or you're, they're your side person. Um, so all of that is good. It, it breaks through all that noise that to me is just noise. Yeah, I mean, I think one step further is anyone who feels that they're different, whether it's stylistically or in some other personal way that you can't change about yourself. I think the more different voices we hear that and we respect um, that because they're great musicians and because they're on the, it, the first list, um, no matter what they play or who they are, um, I think that helps everybody get heard, heard and seen. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Ian mentioned, the, uh, you know, when we were talking about everyone having their own voice, mm -hmm. um, it comes through. So maybe, I don't know, it, it, Cheryl and Kim can, can chime in on this, but Ian, I'm thinking, like, when you hear somebody play, do we think, like, oh, this person's really uh, sensitive, or this person is kind of uh, uh, almost a bullyish vibe to, you know, like is that's the, the range, right? And can, does that come out in the playing? And then considering that, do women have a different sort of a voice than, than men on the instrument? I, I don't know. I think some do, some don't. I think, I think that's like humans have their own voice on the instrument. You know, I don't think, uh, uh, it's it's all about like well yeah women are going to sound like that mm -hmm. maybe we do bring our own sensitivity to it and that's not such a bad thing but me but i think that there are sensitive men and this is why i wanted to pick on ian for a minute to see like do you do you think that there are are men that have this sort of sensitivity to bring to their uh, music and playing but and others are more like you know you know get the macho thing going on yeah, I think that they're probably it's it. I think it's a lot more uh, abstract than that, right? Like, you know, I, I like I said, I really loved the way that you said it's like something about like the way you speak, because there's like these nuances in the way somebody might phrase something that's like the way you would hear somebody say a sentence, right? But as a, like in terms of um, like the the sensitivity or like the the way somebody might play you know my initial thought isn't necessarily that you know men and women have you know different voices on the instrument but rather they might be interpreted differently mm -hmm. right that like if if a man is playing the guitar and he like leaves space and it's like sensitive somebody might, you know, interpret it like if there's like some internalized sort of misogyny or like, you know, um, conceptions, they might think, wow, that's like really smart playing or something, right? So in a way, it's almost like, it, are the voices different? Or is it like the way that we're trying to justify it into like these cultural conceptions of how men and women are different? That might be an, I don't know, maybe I'm making that up, but. <laughs> No, I don't. There's good. A, yeah, there's a lot of head shaking if you're listening on the podcast version, like agreeing with Ian, you know. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's interesting how um, we always have to think about going back to your point about developing your own voice. It's like there's what you express and then there's the way people hear it. And that's uh, well, yeah, and it, this is reminding me of, of uh, um, it, this is a potentially dark place to go, but it's not, it, this is actually a happy story. But uh, I remember one time getting a phone call from my father, and he had been going through cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time I heard his, his sort of, uh, you know, new temporary sounding voice. Uh, um, and he's uh, because his throat had gotten raspy. So, uh, you know, I said, hello. And he said, 
hello yourself. <laughs> and I, and uh, that was like a dad thing, you know, like he, he would always say like, you know, hi dad, hi yourself. You know, he would just say so, something like that back. So in that, in that raspy, you know, hello yourself, I, I was like, oh, well, and, you know, hi dad. You know, it was <laughs> you know, because it was his personality and his, uh, his thing that he would say, but it was like, you know, he was doing it on a, he was doing it with distortion rather than like a clean sound, you know, but it still sounded like him. Yeah, that makes well, a lot of that's sense. The, that's the thing is that it's so complex. I mean, it's like thinking about yourself. Are you, well, yeah, we have blood cells and skin cells and bone cells and we need all of them, but we're not any of one of those things, you know, that make the whole and that's, that's, finding your voice right your your voice is encompasses so many bigger things than i can play fast or i can do you know <laughs> in, and you know i think writing is in the same way you express a bigger picture and it's not any of these all these little parts bits are part of it but it's not the whole thing you know cheryl that reminds me of this idea that like jane you've had this really long career and at different times, you toured more, you wrote more, you recorded more, you played more acoustic guitar, more electric guitar. And I've heard different people over the years say, you know, honestly, I came off this one phase of my career and I just didn't feel like myself anymore. Like I had to learn again who I was when my professional life changed in music. And I'm wondering what your experience has been like that with that kind of thing over the years. and if looking back, you see something consistent where you look back and you say, well, actually, you know, that was different kind of phase of my life, but there are things about my guitar playing and my musicianship and my writing that stayed consistent the whole time. What, what's that like for you? Well, I, you know, part of me looks back and, and thinks, I think uh, it's a good thing I got better you know, I mean, I can look back. It depends on how far I look back, right? Right. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, I'm accepting now more and more. I can speak best, I think, about where I am now, which is, you know, this, I have this piano in the middle of my house. And, you know, I'm a guitar player, but I, since I was a little kid, played piano. We always had one in the house. And I... Um, I am having so much fun having a piano in the house. You can't miss it. You walk, you know, it's huge. And I walk by it all the time and I, and I play. Uh, it's like a magnet. And I'm not like, I don't have piano chops. I, I'm, I, that's why I, I, you know, ask Tim Ray to play parts with, you know, but I sit down and write music at it. And it's, it's just so much fun. And, and so it's intense at the same time and it's fun. And I, even though I think some of the best melodies that I write are from when I'm not near an instrument at all. That has just, I am coming back to this question. That has been the consistent thing for me, uh, hearing music and, and paying attention to it. You know, uh, if I pay attention to it, then it's gonna be worth writing down. And just see, and just see what happens with it later, you know? So write down a two-bar, four-bar phrase. And if I'm not near any, I'll have, like, you know, write down, like, A, C, sharp, D, whatever, you know, until I can get to something else. And, and then develop it. So that's been the consistent thing, like hearing something in my mind's ear or sitting down and, and developing something that way. Or at the guitar, of course, but... Um, all, they're all different methods, but when I can then take some time and work with it and develop it, like here's this little melody. I'll have like four bars across the top of a page of a melody that came to me. And then the whole rest of the page is reharmonizing it like 12 times. Like maybe these chords, maybe, this, oh, this is nice, try this. So I'm, I'm just now paying attention to those kind of things, you know, and that's been, that's been the consistent thing for me. Developing on an instrument, developing on guitar means, okay, now learn how to play that. Mm -hmm. And what do you want to do with it? How are you going to, how are you going to, um, do you want to improvise on it? Do you want to make a chord solo? 
chord solo is the other thing that has been consistent for me. And, I'll, and, and that's because I never really wanted to be a singer. Mm. I'd play Skip to My Lou for my sisters. I have three older sisters, that, you know, and they, they, I, they were patient enough, patient for a little while uh, to um, listen to me. Like I, I, I could play D to A. So listen, I learned, do you know what song this is? And they'd be like, no, I'd say, skip to my loo. What's the matter for you? Skip to my loo, right? And it'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And so then I'd make them sing, you know. But what I, I early that early on, I realized I need to play the melody. I need to be able to play the melody and the chords together to really make it sound good. So that's that's been the other consistent for me. Chord melody, chord solo, since I was 10 or 11 years old, like I better figure out how to, how to do this. So, yeah, those have been my things like, you know, making melody a big deal and, and writing music and paying attention to, to music that, uh, that comes through from wherever. Mm -hmm. um, Jane, can you talk a little bit about your books? Cause you, you're a pretty prolific writer and you have been in books and in um, also articles, like a lot of articles, like what goes into that for you? Do you feel like that's just a natural extension of the pedagogy that you kind of form as you're teaching your students at Berkeley? Or is it something like, like how, how do you come up with your approach, I guess is my question. Uh, yes, it, it is an extension of teaching for sure. And those sort of in the instructional books uh, and it's picking one thing. And Jonathan Feist, the uh, editor-in-chief at Berkeley Press is, brilliant at that you know you can toss around an idea and and he is really good at help at helping to see like well then I think this is the, the focus um, the, my recent book uh, triads for the improvising guitarist is is about something that I've thought of for a, a really long time and uh, it's I realize it's it's how I play. It's how I think about improvising, mm -hmm. and I didn't know it was just something that was naturally in my thought process, mm -hmm. and I didn't know like that it was a thing that I could talk about and teach until, uh, you know, until I really started to like focus on it and formulate like a way to express that, mm -hmm. um, and then that became a lab, and then that became a book, and and. Uh, but I think my favorite kind of writing in that, in the way that you're talking about, Kim, is um, essays. I have a book of essays in me that's going to come out someday. That's that's my favorite kind of writing. And there's there are lessons in within the essays, but they're not like it's not like a nine by twelve book you put on a music stand and practice with. It's it's like the six by nine book that you read, you know, maybe chapter a day or the, you know, the I, I love that kind of writing, and. Uh, I did some of that when I had a column for a while in uh, Premier Guitar. Yeah. And I did about every other month, I did a monthly column and about every other month was um, was that kind of essay form. Mm -hmm. And I just recently did one uh, for Acoustic Guitar Magazine too, which was more of a um, description of how things are done. It's, it was, it's coming up soon. It's about repertoire practice. Um, that's sort of my favorite kind of writing, but I think the um, the kind of writing that I get asked to do more is probably the, the, the instructional thing. People want to know, like, how do you do that, you know? So there are two, two sides of that style of writing. And maybe it's a lot like writing music too. Maybe it comes from a similar place. Yeah. Um, hey, Ian, there's a question you always ask, and I want you to ask it if you're ready to throw it Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so there's a question we ask everybody um, on this podcast, and that's, um, you know, as you have uh, progressed both as like a student and a professor, and you see so many students, and maybe there's some blind spots they might have, and they come in with questions and you know, I, I remember coming in with questions and thinking like, I wanna work on this. And they say, actually the deeper problem is this, right? And I, so the question is, um, what's something that students should be thinking about asking that they might not realize that they should be asking? Wow, 
wow, you can't know to ask something, right? If it's the, if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. There's that old expression. Um, I guess, uh, what do I need? I, I think that that can come from having played a little bit together, yeah. student and teacher playing together a little bit. Uh, you know, what do I need? I, you know, but I can't, I, it's such a general, it's a, that's a really hard question, Ian. Um, <laughs> do I, uh, you know, so what's the, you're asking again, can you say it again, what should I be asking? Is that the question? Yeah, like, is, is there like a question that students should be thinking about that they might not realize? Yeah. All I can think of is, if you ask a question, be, be ready to listen a lot to the answer, whatever that question may be. I, I can't generalize and say, here's what the one question is that everyone should ask, but whatever the question is that you think of, then, then be ready to listen. And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm, I'm thinking of this. I've had some pretty recent experiences of, of students um, just wanting to talk, you know, like all I have to say is, how's everything going? And then the next 50 minutes is them talking, you know, and, and you can only learn when you're listening, right? So um, I ha I've given a lesson before, which is almost a little bit mean, but I've let somebody talk for 50 minutes straight. And at the end, I'll say, there was your lesson. <laughs> you know, like your lesson is to listen next time and we'll, you know, we'll get into some other things. Um, and it's, it's not to say students shouldn't express themselves and have, they, it, people have a lot to say, but if you're, if you're questioning and curious, a big part of communication skills is listening. So whatever you're curious about, ask it, ask it. You know, they're, they're, it's always okay to ask anything. AMA, right? Ask me anything. But um, but then be willing to, to listen. That's sometimes the hard part. I love that, Jane. Um, Cheryl, as we're coming towards the end of the coffee here, what are your thoughts? What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I love, I love um, what you just, your last statement, as you, you figured that out really well, Jane, <laughs> to answer that question, actually. That was really brilliant. And, and really, I really enjoyed a lot of, of how you uh, put your words together. It's very clear and um, inspiring. So, and thank you for the fun stories too. <laughs> I love Lucy, that's my favorite one, but. <laughs> yeah. Great, great moments, yeah. I love that too. Jane, do you have any like final advice for people listening or advice for Cheryl and Ian and I as we're kind of looking to the next semester and the new year, like from your perspective, what do you think we could be thinking about? Uh, oh, the three of you are so good at what you do, and uh, so uh, I don't have advice for you. I mean, I think uh, going forward, I, I, you know, just what we were just talking about, listening, li listening to each other, and you're all already good at that. Um, I think just keeping the keeping the communication going, and uh, you know, being curious. How are the students doing? What do you need? What, what do they need? Um, you know, keeping our ears open and, uh, you know, being, being like, like, like jazz itself, like improvising itself, you know, listening and responding and um, having the dynamic range. Of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of all about, about that, like going with it while staying you know, focused on, on the topic at hand. You know, improvising is great that way. When it's, when you're playing over a set of changes and there's a structure, 
um, a lot of stuff happens within that structure, you know, the rising and falling, and the expressiveness of dynamics and, and making sense of the changes, you know, knowing your topic, knowing the changes is knowing your topic and knowing what to say, having something to say over that. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we all just keep doing that, we're all like in a group, you know, yeah. playing. And we're, and we're doing that. We're rising and falling dynamically and appropriately responding to, to changes and to each other. Um, I think that's, that's a reasonably good way forward. I, I uh, don't do what you do, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's great that you're, uh, you know, staying in good communication with all of us, but um, you're all really good at what you do. And, and uh, I don't, I don't do that. I do this other thing. I'm, I play a different role in that, in that group. Well, and likewise, you're, you're um, a master at what you do. And um, we are so honored that you're with us in the guitar department. And, and thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think that last bit of advice is something everyone should rewind and listen to and reflect on over and over again um, about your own playing and your own work and your own approach to it. So thank you, Jane Miller, professor, for being our guest. Thank you so much. It's been really fun to talk yeah. with you all. Cheers. Cheers.